hello there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands. Well, the Netherlands is so small that almost any place in the Netherlands is like the heart of the Netherlands. Here in Bennekom, in the beautiful province of Gelderland. But broadcasting to the entire world. We're going to talk about a lot of cool things. Of course, we need to talk about movies, TV shows. I'm going to give you a review of the movie Don't Look Up, which is a huge hit, again, for Netflix. Uh, I'll tell you what I thought of the movie. Then we need to talk a little bit about the con- con- controversy um, uh, around Pope Francis' um, uh, speech about about pets and pet owners. There was a lot of... of, of um, news and and debate about that we'll we'll dive into that and um i want to give you uh, my my impressions of the high republic series uh, of of books and uh, comics that are now published by lucasfilm it's uh it's a whole new part of, of star wars history that they are developing um i started to read the first novel and i have some opinions uh, we also need to talk about that mysterious object that was spotted by the China moon rover. And, uh, and of course, we'll talk a little bit more about what's happening with the Webb telescope. And there is a one of the weirdest exoplanets ever has been discovered. Um, we'll talk about that in the science section. And then, of course, we need to talk about what's coming this year in terms of technology, especially the upcoming Apple AR headset. I'm hearing some really interesting, um, interesting things. But before I continue, let me thank my patrons for making it possible for you to listen to this podcast or to watch it online uh, without advertisements, because uh, they help me with their monthly micro donations to do this work and to make it basically the the core of 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 my work. And I couldn't be more happy with their support. And we're going to do great things this year. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Let's talk about what's happening in the world. Um, We're still uh, very much afraid of the consequences of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Um, The number of uh, uh, contaminations uh, in or infections in my country actually right now is through the roof. We're breaking all records and it doesn't show signs of stopping. Isn't that a Christmas song? It doesn't show signs of stopping. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, I'm still in a Christmas mood. I know that formally, officially Christmas time is over, but I still have my Christmas tree down the stairs because I just, like, I'm just waiting for the presentation of the Lord in the temple on February the 1st, and that's when I'm going to take the, the tree down. I just love the Christmas tree way too much to uh, to remove it already. And plus, I, I spent like hours and hours putting it in place. And, and, and this time I've got like these new Christmas ornaments and everything. No, that thing is not going to move anytime soon. So, but nor is the, <laughs> the coronavirus. It's still among us. Uh, the only change with previous waves is that apparently the number of 
severe cases is not rising yet. However, that is also usually a delayed wave when more and more people get infected. It takes a while for the elderly and the people with uh, other conditions to, to get infected. So let's hope, let's hope that this still will remain manageable for the hospitals because if not, then I don't know what we need to do. Um, it's it's also um, starting to to really derail society in general because we for instance we are a country with with many trains we we love our bikes and we love our trains in the Netherlands um, but they've been cutting back on on a lot of trains lately because they just don't find the personnel so so many people have to quarantine uh, have to uh, quarantine because of, of getting infected with the Omicron virus. And of course, especially someone who walks through the train, you know, checking everyone's tickets, you can't have someone like that be contagious. And so um, just by the lack of personnel, they had to cut back on the number of trains. Now, of course, because of the virus, also less and less people are taking the train. Personally, I'm most saddened. I know it's necessary, but I'm so sad that the old cultural sector has uh, has been locked down as well, which means no movie theaters. And I still haven't watched Spider-Man. And, and I, it's getting harder every day to, to uh, not see the spoilers. Uh, all my social media uh, feeds are assuming that everyone now has seen this third Spider-Man movie. I haven't seen it, and apparently you don't want this movie to be spoiled for you. But I'm also frustrated that I can't review it here. So, oh my goodness. And, and it's not the type of movie that I want to see on a TV first. I want it to be in a theater, and I miss my theater. And it's a little bit weird because the supermarkets are all open, and they're, it's busier than ever. There's so many people there, and it's much more dangerous, I think. It's much more likely that you get infected when you visit your local supermarket than in, in the theater or um, a museum. That was very well organized. My local theater had very strict rules. The, everybody was sitting uh, at a huge distance from one another. They had multiple screenings. They even started screenings really early in the morning so they could spread out the audience. It was just... I felt so safe at the movies, and yet they closed it all down. And I don't think... I think that soon this week we will hear whether the lockdown will be con will be uh, prolonged. And and apparently it's it's going to last until at least the end of the month. And I, I just miss my movie theater. Thankfully, of course, we do have streaming video. We have Netflix. We have Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. So, yeah. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So I'm really happy that we have those streaming platforms. And especially right now, I'm, I'm so enjoying Apple Plus or Apple TV Plus with uh, uh, the, all the great series, Ted Lasso. And uh, I still have to watch the Ron, uh, Ronald D. Moore series about uh, this alternate timeline where um, I think it's the Russians that land on the moon first. And, and I just love Ronald D. Moore. Everything he does is, is great. So I still need to watch that. And then, of course, I need to see the science fiction thing, the, the um, 
what's it called? Foundation by uh, Asimov. Um, I've, I've watched the first two episodes. I love it. It's so well done. And it, it, it's just incredible what they're pulling off there. And then speaking of science fiction, another one, other series that I'm eager to finally watch, because after you know, I've been basically in, on, on hold for a year because of moving to this, uh, this new rectory and renovations and everything. But I, I want to see The Expanse. It's now, f- is it finished? I think it's finished, right? The, the whole, the entire Expanse series is now available for, for on demand. And I love that first season. I love the books. I want to see that entire series. So that's high up on my list as well. But of course, occasionally I'll watch the, I watch movies. And today I want to talk about the movie Don't Look Up, which was actually a surprise hit for Netflix. Well, they obviously wanted this to be a hit because I've never seen more more high-profile stars than, than in this movie. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, it's got... Um, oh, gosh. So many other people. I just don't have the IMDb list in front of me. But anyway, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's all movie stars. But is it worth it? I I watched the movie. I was amused by the movie. It's basically an analogy or a metaphor of uh, the way in which our world is reacting to climate change, right? And there's a lot of, like, every scientist is, is, is sounding the alarm. And, like, we have to make some very important changes. Otherwise, you know, future generations are going to suffer so much. And even our generation will, will suffer the consequences of of uh, um, climate change. And we continue to basically do whatever we did. Like this morning, I, I heard on the radio that um, KLM, which is our, our national um, airline company, um, they wanted to tax um, uh, passengers from now on uh, so that they could make their flights a little bit greener. And so you, you, you pay more as a client, as a, as a passenger, which, you know, totally understandable because uh, uh, airline uh, flying, you know, airplanes, no, flying with an airplane is actually so cheap compared to other forms of transportation because it's not taxed, at least not in my country. And so it's, sometimes it's much cheaper to take an airplane to Rome than it is to take a taxi to the next town here. That's, how, that's crazy, of course. Um, but then KLM said, yeah, we're going to try to be a little bit more environmentally friendly. So we're going to add 0.5% of green fuel. So it, I assume that it's more um, environmentally friendly fuel to the mix. And then our passengers are going to pay extra for that. And I'm thinking like, wait, what? 0.5%? So less than 1%? What is that going to change? Nothing. <laughs> You're going to do that every year, then, but maybe your your airplanes will be will be uh, uh, more sustainable, like a f- hundred years from now, when the entire or the entire country will be underwater. Because if, if there's one country that's going to suffer from the rising sea levels, it's the Netherlands. We won't be able to to build higher dikes at one point. It's just going to be inundated. But anyway. So this movie, Don't Look Up, is about a comet that is approaching the Earth. Some scientists discover 
that um, uh, it's gonna its trajectory is gonna hit the planet, and then they're trying to make people aware of what's gonna happen, and the entire world just ignores it, and they just want to be entertained. They're downplaying it. It's politicized. There is a lot of they play a lot with the situation in the, in the United States. So there's this talk show that these scientists come on, and it is um, it's a it's a, a clearly a parody of um, what is it? Morning Joe. It's exactly the same vibe, the same layout, and so it's a, that's a very liberal uh, morning show uh, on is it on on uh, MSNBC? Uh, anyway, so so it's, it's, they do exactly the same. And then, but then they politicize everything. The, the president of the United States is a woman and she only thinks about her next election. So she's trying to downplay it. So it's a, it's a little bit on the nose, I have to say. And um, it also, the movie um, kind of mocks all the tropes of these disaster movies. So at one point they decide to launch like a million rockets to destroy the, the, the asteroid. And then that takes an unexpected turn. And it's clear that they are, they're, that's another parody of, um, uh, you know, Armageddon. And you had a, a number of those episodes like the day after tomorrow and, and, and those disaster movies. But every time it's just, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But n- but none of these uh, different elements that they integrated in the story um, gets enough breathing room, and so all in all, I mean, the acting is f- is funny. There are some funny moments, but it's not it's not super funny. It's a little bit. I I found it depressing the movie, um, and not in a good way. Not in like oh boy, let's learn from this and try to do better than the people in this movie. No, it was just like oh. Total cynicism, and um, and I don't like that because I feel that the world right now is cynical enough as it is. I don't need that to be reflected in a movie. I want movies to give me hope, to inspire me, to do to to make the future different. You know, to change something. And this is just a movie, just hammering it in. Like whatever you will want to do, the people are not going to change. Uh, we're just basically all going to die. And I think the movie is so popular because it's is very much the zeitgeist right now. But I'm not I don't want to be part of that zeitgeist. I just don't want to be among the naysayers that say oh it's all lost, it's all a waste of time and it's never the world's never going to change. And there is no there's no solution for for uh, the climate crisis. Not because it's scientifically impossible to do something about it. It's just because people don't care. And I'm thinking it's such a negative view of of mankind. I I don't think that does justice to who we are. And I think that you already see that that that, that people are coming together and we we are making changes. There's so much happening. Sure, there's a lot that is negative and polarized in our society, but this is also a time where I see great progress in, in you know, think of what happened in these previous years for, you know, certain minority groups to that they finally find their voice, that we learn to respect one another, that, that the whole Me Too movement, where all of a sudden, like, we're done with this, this abuse of power uh, in... in um, in the film industry, 
all that is very recent, and I think it's super positive. Even in my own church, you know, how painful, no matter how painful it is, this whole, all the, the abuse crisis, but we've learned so much from what happened, and there is so much progress. There's such a, a shift in mindset, and yes, there's always something more that you can hope for, and it's never enough, but at the same time, that there is so much positive. It just depends on how you look at the world. And this movie, Don't Look Up, looks at the world from the most its most cynical angle. And, 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 and yes, that is also, you know, could be funny. But in the end, it left me with a bitter taste in my mouth. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't like this movie. And it's, I can also imagine that, especially for people in America, um, the movie may also offend them because it's so clearly uh, reflecting uh, a lot of the things that are currently going on also politically uh, and culturally in the United States. Um, it's not a movie that's going to make you happy. So, yeah, I was, I was still... I, I'm still a bit puzzled why it's such a hit. Um, but then again, maybe I'm an exception. Let me know in the comments what you thought um, or on the Discord server. I already played that one. <laughs> Let's go and visit a peculiar bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their, uh, their chiefs, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Priests, bishops, popes, the chiefs of the Catholic Church. What do you do if they say something that you really, really, really don't like? Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Well, that happened to some people when Pope Francis last week said something about pet owners. Now, this was... I'm just going to describe how I learned this. Um, I had several people emailing me or messaging me like i can't believe what the pope just said about pets and pet owners i'm so offended and uh, wh who does he think he is and why does he say that and i'm so fed up with this and like a lot of anger and i was like uh okay i have not been following the news um since when does the pope's opinion about pets is is, is so important that you get like totally discombobulated by it and so, well, I, I read some, some of the news. It started to, to pop up on Facebook and in my news feeds. And according to a lot of the articles that I read, yeah, Pope Francis hates pets owners because they're egotistical, they're selfish, and they should have children instead of pets. And that was kind of the extent of most of the articles. And then maybe there were like two or three quotes, out of context, of course. And, and that's all. And, and when I read it, I was like, wow, I... That's a weird thing to say for the Pope. I mean, why would pet owners be be evil? Uh, sure, I understand that it's important to to have families, and uh, and I I can guess that the, probably what he said about pet owners and pets is in the context of something about families and the importance of family life, and maybe also the current demographic trends in a lot of our Western countries. I know that the Pope, and he's not the only one 
this is not just uh, exclusive to the Catholic Church, but a lot of people are concerned because our society is getting older and older. And who is going to pay for, and who's going to t- take care of all these older people with their, you know, uh, their, their increased need for medical assistance and, 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 and caretakers? How are the, 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 the demographic pyramid is upside down? And that is a problem. That is a, an objective problem for many countries. Uh, think of China. They had to change their whole policy towards you know, only having one child because they, they, they concluded, well, this is not working. And we're not going to be able to take care of the elderly if there are no children anymore and no families. And so um, when I read this, I was like, I bet you that that is part of, of what the Pope wanted to say. Um, and yeah, the way it was portrayed in the media, if I had pets and no kids, I would be offended too, because, you know, it doesn't make me selfish. There's so many reasons for people not having children, and it's not always a deliberate, egotistical, you know, selfish, I want to spend money on myself, and, you know, I can choose between a child or a new car, I'll choose a car. Who thinks like that? So it sounded a little bit um, uh, rushed and... Uh, and very, um, in a certain way, well, Pope Francis is known to sometimes be a little bit black and white. That's his style. Um, he also, sometimes in his jokes, can be a little bit, uh, well, not everybody. It's some people that are very sensitive may not like his, his, his style of humor. But I also know that he's a very caring man and is not out there to offend people. He just wants to help, wants to help them. So this this felt so out of character that I, I was convinced that there was more to this story. So ultimately, I read his entire speech, and then I, I think I was right. This is the, the the typical framing that we've seen. Actually, we don't we haven't seen this very much in the general press with this pope. We've seen it a whole lot of times with Pope John Paul II and with Pope Benedict, where where you could almost, it was almost a guarantee that if you read something that the Pope was had supposedly had said, which was outrageous, and people were like mad as hell, and the, the, there was another confirmation that the Catholic Church uh, should be uh, should be eliminated, you could you could be certain that it was framed and that it was not what the Pope wanted to say and that people deliberately, not everyone, not the readers, but the, the, the people that wrote the stories, you know, they deliberately uh, twisted his words to create uproar, to create this, this, uh, this anger. Because anger sells. Let's be honest. It's something I have to keep explaining to my Star Wars fans, fellow Star Wars fans, and they're like, why, why are, are so many YouTubers so negative about the Book of Boba Fett? I love this series. And I, I, my reply is always, you know what? Negativity sells. It's, it's controversy. That's how Facebook got so powerful. That's why the uh, elections in, in the United States were such a huge problem a couple of years ago because the, the Facebook was making money by promoting negative stories and, 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 and fanning on the fires of, of, of polarization um, because people are more engaged and click more on stuff that, you know, irks them. It's, it's an addiction 
to negativity. And you see the same, the same attitude sometimes in the way that journalists are, try, are, are portraying the church or, t- or talking about what a pope has said. Normally nobody would take notice of a, a speech in Italian to, to a, a very specific group. So you always have to ask yourself, why do they publish this story? And is it truly what the Pope meant to say? And maybe he has said certain things, but if you leave out the context, that can totally uh, mispresent, misrepresent what his actual intention was. So if you read his entire text and encourage you to do so, then yes, it was a, a, a speech where in which he expressed his concern, not about pet owners, but because... His concern for the future of our societies, where there are so many elderly and so few children, and so many families are are uh, either broken or people um, just don't or think of, of of founding a family at a very late age. They're so busy uh, with their careers and with all the other stuff, and then, and then when they want to ultimately start a family, it's, it's sometimes it's too late. All that sort of stuff. The Pope was talking about that, and 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 he was uh, he was encouraging our society to be more. F- open to family life and to see that as a value and not just a nuisance to have kids uh, children are a treasure are a great gift and so when he and then in that context he, he gives an example of like there are certain people he's not generalizing there he says there are certain people that would rather have pets than animals and then he says that's the world upside down that's not a good development and so he's again the way it was framed was the Pope had, hates pet owners. You know, even I could be offended. I'm not a pet owner, but, you know, I, the cat Arturo has a special place in my heart. That doesn't make me uh, an egocentric, egotistical person. Come on. But so when something sounds too much out of character, then it is usually because it's framed. That is not just the case for the Pope. That is also the case for many other things. Think of, again, parallel, what's happening among Star Wars fans towards Disney, towards Kathleen Kennedy and all these people. There are so many, I think, really evil-minded, evil-spirited YouTubers that know that they can get more clicks if they fan the flames of outrage. And so they're trying to portray everything that Kathleen Kennedy does and that Disney does in the most negative perspective that they can come up with. And it's like they're living in a parallel world when I see that. And I, it hurts me when people do that to the church and to this pope that I have great admiration for and, and for me is an example in... in, in in kindness and 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 the way he approaches people and and his concern are are genuine uh, he wouldn't hurt a fly and and yet he's some now in this in this case was portrayed as this great cat hater or dog hater and thinking yeah but but even if he had said that in a very uh, not very nuanced way maybe he just like even if you take these framed articles um for you know seriously 
even then, does that all of a sudden negate everything else that this pope has done? Everything, everything you see? Does it all of a sudden make him an evil pope? No, of course not. I mean, if, if, you, if you judge people on the basis of one thing they say that you don't agree with, and that's, that's it, you're just done with this, this or that person, wow, you're not going to have many friends in the world, you know? So I'm thinking, even if a pope or a priest, this can also happen, and it has happened to me as well, that some of my colleagues have behaved in a certain way that was offensive to me, or a bishop has, has said things that I profoundly disagree with. Yes, it's a bishop, but I don't agree with that, and I don't want to think like that. Well, then that's okay. It's totally okay to have a different opinion. The Pope does not always speak what they call ex cathedra. So not everything that the Pope says or, 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 or any opinion of the Pope is supposed to be gospel truth that needs to be, you know, mindlessly embraced by his, uh, his, his stupid followers. That's not the way it works in the church. You can have your own opinion. You can disagree with the Pope. And this Pope actually promotes it that people disagree with him and that they enter in a dialogue. He likes sometimes to stir the pot so that people start to say what they really think. He, he hates people that are always, you know, just, just um, trying to, to say the things that the Pope likes to hear. He, he is like, just tell me what you think. Tell me what's happening and we'll deal with that. And, 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 and this Pope is, has, has changed his opinion on things many times. He has asked for forgiveness for things that he said in the past or even jokes that he cracked. And, and I think that's a quality that is what a relationship is about. I mean, anyone who is, who is in a relationship or is married, do you ever always agree with everything that your partner says or does? No. Oh my gosh, that would be such an unhealthy relationship. But it is when you share your opinion, especially when it's different, that's when you start to discover what you have in common and, and what to think. And, and it may very well be that you will continue to disagree. That's fine has always been like that in the church. The entire tradition of the church for 2,000 years is a, is a history of disagreements and, and, and fights. And, but despite that, but despite all the different opinions, there's always this quest for unity. What did you truly mean to say? And sometimes it takes centuries to discover what the other person truly wanted to do. I wanted to say, we are on a common quest for truth. And I, I just hope that people will have that attitude also towards the Pope and towards the church in general. If there's something that you don't like or that for some reason irks you, first of all, ask yourself, acknowledge that feeling, allow yourself to feel that way. But then also ask yourself, why am I reacting so strongly to this? Because that will point you to what is truly important for you. There's always a value behind your, your anger. You are angry because it hurts something that is precious to you. Once you find that, then you can, you can start to look for common ground. So what are the chances that this, this person, this pope or priest or, or bishop, hates what I think is super precious? Is that, is that, is that likely? If not, if you doubt that, 
maybe I'll have to reread this and think about this a little bit more. Or maybe just go and, and see your local priest and tell him what you think and how that, how you perceived it. And then maybe, as they say in the Netherlands, the soup will not be eaten as hot as it is served. I love that expression. This, this, maybe the soup won't be eaten as hot as it is served because it will always cool down. And that's also when someone offends you, I do that a lot. It's, it's kind of my strategy when people are, are attacking me on social media. I engage, unless it's like really trolling, but if it's someone who just disagrees with me, I engage. I say, hey, I, I noticed that you're offended by what I said or did. Uh, of course, I don't want that to happen, but can you tell me a little bit more? And, and just that, you know, reaching out alone often does a lot of good and helps really to and sometimes you know friendships were born from an, an initial disagreement so i invite you that's, that's kind of what i try to do myself it's always when when something hurts me the first question the first thing i do is ask myself why is this triggering me so and what's the value underneath what do i try to protect what do i try to hold dear and then from that, I can ask, well, what would be the values of that other person that disagrees so much? Is, do we have common values? Can I understand that other point of view, even though I have a different, a different opinion? And I think that we are so quick in, 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 in judging other people. And, and, and a lot of the polarization that we see in, in, in the media, uh, even when I, you know, towards something like climate change, if you look at the debates, or, or whether or not we should be vaccinated or wear mouth masks or whatever, a lot of polarization is because we skip this empathy phase. This, this, the, the, we, we skip the process of trying to understand the other from his or her perspective, which does not invalidate your own perspective on things. But it may help you understand why someone else has such a different opinion from you and is so is so is so um, is wording it so strongly maybe by trying to understand the other person you will start you will it will be easier to respect it and and respect can also be hey that's what you think this is what i think let's agree to disagree that's also a way to to be able to move on but if you stay in this anger and anger turns into hatred. Well, Yoda has a, a, a thing or two to say about that, that logic and that sequence of events. It's not going to end well. A scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. We need to talk about the Webb telescope. Oh my gosh, it worked! They did it! They unfolded this incredible mirror that was segmented and... As I told you in my previous episode, this is a 300-step process where so many things can still go wrong. This whole telescope was, of course, much bigger than, than the rocket with which it was launched. And so it's like an origami type of puzzle that ne now needs to unfold step by step. And, oh, well, I was holding my breath all the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Provided it goes well, because this is a billion-dollar project. If this goes wrong, there are no space shuttles to go fix it. So it's either it works or it doesn't work. And so, thankfully, by the, at the end of this week, or last week, or I think just this, over this weekend, they successfully deployed the most important elements 
of, of the telescope successfully. Now, that doesn't mean that it already works. There's still a lot that can go wrong. First of all, they need to navigate it to a different traje traje trajectory. So it hasn't yet reached its final you know, orbit or velocity. So they're still going to do a lot of course corrections. And then all these mirrors have been deployed. But if you would try to take a picture right now, it would be total, a total mess. It would be absolutely rubbish. And that is because all these different parts need to be now adjusted and aligned and, and calibrated. And apparently that is going to take not weeks, but months. It may be six months until we see a clear picture, but the scientists are super encouraged by the success of this first phase, and they promise us that once we get the real pictures, it's going to blow us away because we will be able to look into the past in a way that we've never been able to do before. We will see the first, the f you know, images of the first galaxies that were formed after the Big Bang. That's just insane. One of the upsides of, of light actually taking time to travel, the more you look, if you look at the sky, you see something that is no longer there, at least not that particular situation, because time, it takes hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years, sometimes for light to finally reach us. And that that is what the telescope will be able to see. And it, nobody knows what we're going to discover that's why I'm so excited about this telescope, and that's why I hope that uh, everything will go well. Also, in these maybe less uh, um, tense uh, uh, steps, but but still, there's still so much that can go wrong. So let's hope this thing will work. Uh, one of the things that another uh, uh, what is it? I think it's a probably also a telescope i don't know the kiops what is the kiops i think it's an, an a european thing let me just look that up so you've got nasa in the united states and here in europe we've got esa um and esa started an exoplanet mission called kiops uh, now, I still don't see... Oh, so Kiops is an, a device... What is it? An, this is ridiculous. So, gosh, the news feed on the ESA website is terrible. It's so You go to that website, you find nothing. It's insane. Such a big organization, and their communication is, is rubbish. <laughs> I'd have to give props to, to NASA. They're doing such a terrific job in communicating what they do. Maybe it's because in the United States, it's more important to, to communicate because your, your, your future depends on it because the political landscape is changing all the time. Um, yeah. Okay, so in... 2019, on the 18th of December, Kiops was launched from French Guinea, and it is now in an orbit 700 kilometers above Earth, and it is indeed a space telescope. Why haven't I never heard of this thing? Kiops is ESA's characterizing exoplanet satellite. It is the first mission dedicated to studying bright nearby stars that are already known to host exoplanets. Exoplanets are planets that are not in our solar system. In order to make high-precision observations of the planet's size as it passes in front of its host star, 
It will focus on planets in the super-Earth to Neptune-size range. Super-Earth is a planet that is, is similar in, in chemical consistency to Earth, but maybe much bigger than our planet. Um, Neptune, of course, is a lot smaller. With its data enabling the bulk density of the planets to be derived, a first-step characterization towards understanding these alien worlds. Well, this particular uh, European uh, satellite has now revealed an exoplanet that is not round. It's not circular. It was on the news this morning. I've not really seen it much in international news yet, so I had to go to the ESA website to find it. Um, this planet is, has actually got the shape of a rugby ball. So it's shaped like an, well, not like an egg, but like, well, like an American football instead of a European football. Soccer ball. <laughs> it, is, it has a deformed shape. And, and Cheops, of course, is specialized in determining the shape and maybe also the atmosphere components, etc. Because it's so sensitive and it can see when, when the planet passes in front of the, of the sun, you get, of course, uh, you know, you can measure that. And, and based on that, they've been able to derive the deformed shape of this planet. And this is the first time that a deformation of an exoplanet has been detected offering new insights into the internal structure of these star-hugging planets. Now, this planet is known as WASP-103b, located in the constellation of Hercules. It has been deformed by the strong tidal forces between the planet and its host star, which is about 200 degrees hotter and 1.7 times larger than the Sun. 200 degrees hotter. That sounds like nothing. The sun is, like, super hot. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. But anyway, so because it's so close to the star, um, it, it, it's just the gravity has, has deformed the shape. While, and it's probably because planets, before they get their ultimate size, they're still fluid, right? It's lava, magma, whatnot. And then so when this thing was solidifying, it was pulled by all these strong gravitational forces and ended up in, you know, being rugby-shaped. That is insane. Apparently, this planet has a, a solid core and then a fluid layer and then an atmosphere. So it's the internal structure of this planet is very much like that of Jupiter. Now, of course, I don't know if the solid core also has this, that rugby ball shape. I don't know. The mass of this planet is 1.5 times the mass of Jupiter. So it's a big one. It's a really big one. And the radius is twice the size of Jupiter. And you got to keep in mind that Jupiter is the biggest planet of our solar system. Temperature, 20 times hotter than Jupiter. And Jupiter is, you know, it's not Antarctica. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, I'm excited about the Webb telescope, but I'm also super excited about this kind of news. And of course, we'll never really get a photograph of that planet because it's way too far away. You can't send uh, a, a spaceship to it to take photos like we have photos of our own, uh, the objects in our own solar system. But you can make approximations. You can make simulations of this. And uh, yeah, we live in such an exciting sci scientific time. Unbelievable. <music> 
When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I got a new Kindle! Yes! I'm so excited. John Domic, who's also part of our uh, Patreon community, sent me his old Kindle Oasis. So he, he got the new Kindle Paperwhite, which has a larger screen. It's got the, the warm light. Um, I think that the, the, the second edition of the Oasis also had warm light, but the one that he had only had one color light. Um, and so uh, because he, he switched to the new Paperwhite, uh, he sent me his old Oasis, and it's amazing. What a difference. It's a slightly bigger screen. I've got an old paper white that is from 2000... I don't know. It's like five years old, I think. It's a seventh generation paper white. Well, maybe it's not that old. But anyway, it's small. It's very small. And one of the... I bought it because it was cheap and because my old Kindle was really, really old. I think I got the, the third generation Kindle before this. And it had no backlight. And I wanted to have a backlight because I'm oftentimes reading in, you know, for instance, down the stairs when it's already dark. And and it, it's really helpful to have a backlight. But what I didn't like about my existing Kindle, it was the cheapest one, is that you have to touch the screen to, to turn the page. And the Kindle itself is pretty slow. And I notice I read very quickly. And having to move my thumb every time to touch the screen. And then the screen itself is not very, you know, it's not like an iPad. It's kind of slow in reacting. And it, that was an ongoing frustration. Like it felt clunky to turn the page by touching the touch part of the screen. There are no physical buttons on the old Paperwhite. This Oasis changes everything and it's just because of these two physical buttons on the side. And it's so much faster to just press a button. And, the, well, the Kindle itself also has a faster engine. And it's it's like, I always thought that the one of the reasons that I didn't like reading on the Kindle was that it had such a small screen. This one is a little bit bigger than my previous Kindle, but not that much. But it's the physical buttons that make all the difference. It's, it's just like reading a, a, a real book. I don't know what it is, but I've been reading a ton of, of books now. On, on this Kindle Oasis. I couldn't be happier. And one of the books that I've been reading is in the High Republic series. So um, the Star Wars uh, history is divided into usually into two big time frames. The one that we know from the movies, which is actually a very short time in history. So it's the rise of the Empire and the Emperor, and then you've got the Rebellion, and then you've got the New Order stuff. And that's that's one time frame, and even even what we see now with the Boba Fett and and, and the Mandalorian, that's all taking place in that time frame. Then you have the Old Republic, which takes place thousands of years before the events in the New Hope, and so this is ancient history, and it also talks about the Sith. It has a lot of elements in common with um, the 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 time frame that we're uh, more familiar with, but it is. There is such a huge time gap between the stories of the Old Republic and the stories of, well, the the, the the Rebellion, that there is room for more. And that's what they developed with this whole series about the, um, uh, the, the High Republic. The idea was, let's still tell stories in the time where the Jedi were at the height of their 
the, the, basically the prime time of the Jedi. They were everywhere. Everything was well organized. Um, this was like the golden era of um, of the uh, of of the Republic. That's why it's also called the High Republic. Now, another thing that they wanted to do with this series was to um, to launch basically something that, that, that didn't cost too much money, because now they're so investing so much money in in the development of uh, the television series and all that. It's a very complicated business. The Old Republic is already well-established. There are lots of comics and video games and whatnot. So that was, for them, not not very interesting because yeah, you, you have to take into... Uh, the Old Republic has never been as popular as, as, as the, you know, the time frame from the movies. <clears throat> and it felt... To me, always like yes, you can develop more stories, and that's still happening. And they're going to do like a remake of the Old Republic video game, which is cool. But it's hard to do something new there because everything has is already so established. Um, I can imagine that they just want to be able to start fresh with like a, a, a totally unknown part of Star Wars history, and that's what they did with the High Republic. It was also going to be um, a multimedia type of launch, mostly with books, some geared towards adults, a lot of them geared towards young adults and children, and then they would do regular books, comic books, and, and that's about it for now. I don't think they were planning on doing anything visual, no animated series, no TV series, no movies, just books which is like the cheapest thing to do <laughs> even the special effects you can just describe them you don't have to film them so uh, smart from a commercial point of view the question of course is is it any good i had a bad feeling about this whole era i have to be honest i mean i, I do like my star wars i like the expanded universe but i had a bad feeling about this it, it just felt a little bit too oh, plus they were also saying that they wanted to address more current topics uh, cultural topics, uh, issues. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it felt almost as if they were just using the books in this this whole story. How'd you say that? This whole this 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 this, this history is part of the history of Star Wars to um, to kind of escape the pre-established. Um, story storylines how do i say that the ingredients that we associate with star wars and it felt to me i i was afraid that they would make it very kind of woke political and i don't know felt a, felt a little bit um a, a bit like what they're doing with star trek that, that that's maybe why i was a little bit apprehensive you know star wars discovery i like that series but man, it will be dated so much over a couple of years because they're, they're they're constantly, you know, just tapping us on the head with all the all the current social issues, and and it feels like the story itself is almost irrelevant. It's all about look at us. Star Trek is now part of our modern culture, and yes, Star War, Star Trek has always done that, but always as a you know, as part of the story, it was integrated, and now it feels like Star Trek is only about all these cultural, societal, gender issues. And yeah, I I wouldn't have a problem with that if the stories were good. But Star Trek Discovery, mm, it's it's not it's not the strongest 
entry in the Star Wars, in the Star Trek uh, uh, canon, I think. Oh, by the way, I'm watching uh, the Prodigy series. <gasps> that is so good. Oh, my gosh. Catherine Janeway as a hologram. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy is like, wow, that's a Star Trek that I want to see more of. And it's geared towards children. It's 100 times better than anything they've done with Star Wars. I, it hurts me to say that. But if you, re, if you compare Star Wars Rebels with what they're doing with Star Trek Prodigy, oh my gosh, Star Trek Prodigy is so much better. Okay, now I'm going to have a lot of angry people in the comments. I know that. But anyway, uh, High Republic, I, did, I wasn't sure about it. But of course... You know, I just wanted to give it a, ch a chance. And I started with a book written by one of my favorite Star Trek authors, Claudia Gray. She wrote one of my most beloved Star Wars novels um, in the Expanded Universe. And I, I was like, okay, if there's one person that can convince me that this is, a, this is worth my time, it's going to be Claudia Gray. So I started reading Into the Dark. And it is so boring. Oh, it's so bad. It, the story is like super thin and not interesting. Um, it switches characters like five times per chapter and it changes the point of view. And none of these characters are interesting. It's so bad. It's really bad. Convince me otherwise, but really. It's just, this is the first book that I've read in a long time that I was like, okay, I'm not sure if I'm going to finish this book. Of course I'm going to finish it because I bought it. So... And I always feel like you have to give it a chance. You have to read the entire book. But so far, it, like I'm halfway through the book now and I'm thinking, oh my, what are they thinking? If every book is going to be like this, then seriously, I don't care for the High Republic anymore. So, so anyway, that's, that's, that's my, my current impression of the High Republic novel Into the Dark. I've got another one, Light of the Jedi by Charles Squeal. No, Soul. Oh, it's got a bad font that I couldn't read. Charles Soul. Uh, from the reviews on Amazon, it looks as if this is not very, this is not much better than, than, than Into the Dark. So if you know of any story that is worth reading in, in, of the High Republic, something that, that convinced you that the High Republic is actually a good thing, and, 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 and as a Star Wars fan, I should uh, absolutely have some more patience. I'm, I'm just waiting for some good news about this era. If not, I think it's just going to be one of those things. Like, yeah, whatever. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Apple is currently working on a number of exciting uh, new devices. The first one that we're probably going to see this year, maybe as soon as the developer conference, is the AR headset. Now, this is supposed to be a, a, a bit like what Facebook is doing with the Quest, but instead of a VR closed uh, pair of glasses, it's going to be semi-transparent or it will have camera. No, it probably will have cameras. It's not going to be like glasses or like regular glasses, but it's going to have cameras so you can project stuff on top of the world around you, 
with a quest that is not not a very good experience. Uh, the, the, I've got the quest one, but it's similar to the quest two in that respect. Um, you can show the world around you, but it is shown in a very grainy, super low resolution, black and white version, and they do nothing with AR. Apple is probably going to do something far superior to what Quest is doing for AR. I mean, I still love the Quest for what they do in VR. But Apple is, is, is of course, trying to differentiate itself. And Apple thinks the future is not VR, but AR. And from what I've heard, or the rumors are saying that Apple will initially first introduce us with this AR headset that's going to be a lot lighter and probably also better looking than the Quest and all the other VR um, headsets. But it will be very, very different from what, for instance, Facebook is doing. Facebook is trying to create the metaverse. They even changed their name into meta. And they hope that we will spend most of our future time inside the metaverse. So we will be in a different world, very much like Ready Player One and Ready Player Two. And Facebook is putting a lot of money into, uh, into this idea, and uh, I'm, I'm very eager to see what they're coming up with this year. Because I feel that one of the biggest issues that I have with, uh, with the Quest is the limited uh, field of view. Now, Sony is going to launch their second-generation VR headset this year. And apparently we'll have a field of view of 110 degrees, whereas the Quest has a 90 degrees. Well, what's the difference? It's your peripheral vision. When you put on a Quest, it's cool, but it still feels as if you're wearing goggles, like uh, when you go diving, you know? There is a whole lot of black, and then you're, you're, you're watching the virtual world through two round openings. But a lot of the peripheral vision is black. And... And, and, and that does not create immersion. Now, 110 degrees is not that much. It's not that all of a sudden it's going to be all around you, but it is, I think, going to be very liberating if you have the wider field of view. And what my prediction is, once you've experienced a wider field of view, so, you know, lenses that will show you also in your peripheral vision more of that virtual world, you cannot go back to, to 90 degrees of field of view. It's going to be so restrictive. It's like I've got this wide, super widescreen monitor that I'm working with. I cannot switch back to a four by three monitor now. It feels so so small. So it's like, where is the rest of my of my vision? And I think that's also going to happen with these headsets. So my question is, what's Apple going to do in terms of field of view? Also, they they don't want a metaverse. According to the rumors, Apple is actually instructing the developers to do nothing that, e that even remotely looks like the metaverse. They don't want you to wear these glasses all day long. They don't want you to disappear in a different virtual world. They want you to experience uh, the apps or games or whatever they're developing in short burst, bursts, even though the glasses are going to be much more comfortable than the Quest. So... That shows that Apple has a very different philosophy. That's interesting. And, and of course, they will explain it very well <laughs> once they finally have their product. But I've been wondering what is going to be the, the system seller. The device itself is probably going to be very expensive. So what is going to conv convince people that it's worth investing in? Well, it may not just be the technological quality of the device. 
but maybe it is because they won't focus on creating a virtual world or even games, but maybe one of the things they're going to focus on is health. If there's one thing that Apple has been developing over these past few years, it's health applications for the Apple Watch, but they, they also have that subscription model where you can do like workouts and it's using the cameras. It's also using form like part partially AR technology to help you with those exercises. So I wouldn't be surprised if the first system seller app that at least according to apple is going to be this health subscription and of course it will be another reason for people to well they will have to subscribe to to this health service on a monthly basis so it's going to generate not only is apple going to make a lot of money with by selling the headset but also they will have monthly income from the people that use the headset that's what I think. I think they're going to come up with services and individual apps. Yes, Apple makes a bit of money on that, but it's not, it's not very substantial. Apple TV Plus, that's not something for, for AR glasses. But health, training, fitness, yes. I can totally see a business model for Apple that is worth their while. So that's what I think. It's going to be health, fitness-oriented. And, of course, it's going to be cool. But I'm not sure if it's going to be any competition for the Quest. I'm, I'm very much a VR guy. Yes, AR, sure. But it feels almost mundane. Yes, of course, over time, we will all have glasses that will make us feel like the Terminator. And we can analyze clothes in store and see if they fit us, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger was able to do in the Terminator 2. But it doesn't excite me. It, it's just like, yeah, We've seen it before in science fiction movies, and but it's not, it's not, it's not like creating something new. What I love about the quest is that I can go explore. I can play video games. I mean, this there's this Horizon Dawn video game that was developed by Dutch by Dutch company for for Sony. So an exclu- Well, now it's no longer exclusive for the PlayStation, but it used to be for years. And it's an amazing game. They they have now the second game is going to be also. Uh, available in VR, and there's also a mod that you can install for the PC version of Horizon Dawn, and it, it allows you to play the first game also in first-person perspective, and I saw some demos, and it is amazing. That's the kind of stuff that I'm after. That's what makes me excited. Now, I am still unable to wear the Quest for more than an hour. It makes me nauseous, um, but that's a matter of time. That, 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 that is also because it's still a little bit slow and, uh, and the peripheral vision is a bit uh, nauseating. Plus, the headset is heavy and it's not comfortable to wear it for more than an hour. But the actual experiences that I've had with the Quest, oh, yes, I want more of that. But we'll see. With that, I need to start wrapping things up. Thank you so much. Oh, I've been talking for a long time now. But I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, of course, if you're a patron, there's way more for you to listen to. Uh, I've added two new series to the Patreon feed. One is my weekly homily in audio form, so you can listen to it. Um, and you don't have to watch the video or sit in front of your computer. You can just listen to the audio of the homily, especially interesting for people that already go to church in their local parish, and but they still are interested in... You know, my geeky take on on the Bible readings of that week. Plus, there is a new 
add-on podcast for the walk. Um, and it's called The Extra Mile. And it's literally, I walk an extra mile and I talk about stuff that I don't want to share with the general public yet. So it's kind of a, like a preview channel almost. All that and more for my dear friends over at patreon.com slash fatherodrick. If you want to join them, you get access to the Discord server and you'll be able to make a lot of friends because it feels like a, a really cool group of friends. So uh, thank you if you're one of them. Thanks for listening. We'll talk next week. Take care and God bless.